0: Hello, this is Neil from Grassroots Security, and I'm back for another season. For those who are not familiar with this podcast, I talk about some of the current news and things that we could learn from them that could be applied to either yourself or your organization. Hello, Carrie. Welcome to a new year.
1: Do not hello me. Where have you been?
0: I have no excuse.
1: Good. I thought it was the apocalypse since I haven't heard from you in months. I have spiders living in me and the amount of cobwebs I have. I thought I was not going to start up.
0: Well, at least you know you're dry. And you did start up.
1: Lucky for you I did or this podcast would not have happened.
0: Maybe unlucky for me. What did you say? I said lucky me. In any case, my apologies to my listeners. I will do my best to make sure I keep this podcast going. As usual with the disclaimer, the opinions here are my own and relying on any information from this podcast is at your own risk. Now on with the show. Unless you have been living in the middle of the rainforest or the desert with no access to news, a lot has happened in the past two months. I will not go into those specific topics due to the polarizing nature of them. However, I would like to tackle the general topic of misinformation and disinformation for this podcast. Before I start, just some definitions. Misinformation is false or inaccurate information that is communicated regardless of an intention to deceive. Well, disinformation is misinformation that is deliberate, meaning the one who is saying it is acting maliciously. Misinformation has been a part of human history for quite some time. And to combat this, we have journalism, which in pure terms is meant to be unbiased reporting on current or past events based on facts and supported with proofs and evidences. But with the advent of social media, wherein oftentimes that is the only source of information that people use to keep themselves up to date, you have a high chance of misinformation. For those who have seen the great hack in Netflix, it shows how a company that does data mining and analytics show the dark side of social media with the backdrop of the 2016 US presidential election as well as the United Kingdom's Brexit campaign. I do recommend watching that documentary. The premise is that each person has thousands of data points that a data analytics company can collect. If you like to post about Harry Potter, that is one data point. If you shared a post about home renovations, that is another data point. If you entered your social demographics, like where you live, what your gender is, what your age is, etc., those are data points. These data points are very powerful, especially when combined. For example, there may be a misinformation campaign that another Harry Potter series will be coming out, but with their kids as the protagonists. Since you liked Harry Potter before, you are more likely to click on a post that says, Harry Potter sequel slated for 2022. If you combine that with other data points, it becomes more powerful, as it is more targeted. Like, Harry Potter does home renovations. You heard it here, folks. So whoever is the agent of J.K. Rowling, call me. I have some ideas on this.
1: Why cannot it be Carrie does home renovations? Are you famous? Well, I am in this podcast. Is this podcast popular?
0: (laughs) Touché. Remember that when you click on something, you are already showing what we call bias towards what you clicked, and this bias can either be positive or negative. By definition, bias is a tendency, inclination, or prejudice towards or against something or someone. From psychology today, some biases are positive and helpful, like choosing to only eat foods that are considered healthy or staying away from someone who has knowingly caused harm. But biases are often based on stereotypes, rather than actual knowledge of an individual or circumstance. Whether positive or negative, such mental shortcuts can result in judgments leading to rash decisions or discrimination. In the same Psychology Today source, people are naturally biased. We like certain things and dislike others. And often, we are not fully conscious of those prejudices. We acquire bias at a young age and often based on our upbringing. And there's no such thing as completely unbiased. We are human after all.
1: I am not human. Does that mean I am not biased?
0: Well, if the programs you are running were developed by human, then you have a degree of bias based on how those applications were coded. But as a computer program, you are just following those instructions. Anyhow, we are veering a bit off-topic. So as mentioned, as humans, we tend to assign judgment based on first impressions. And most people would have had a lifetime of conditioning by schools, religious institutions, families, media, and most glaringly these days, by public figures like politicians. But I won't discuss politics as it is too polarizing. As we are growing up, pieces of information go into our memory. And Daniel Schachter wrote about the seven sins of memory, and he mentioned bias and misattribution as two of them. Bias and misattribution are sins of commission. Some form of memory is present, but is either incorrect or unwanted. It reflects the powerful influences of our current knowledge and beliefs on how we remember our past. Either unknowingly or unconsciously, we often edit or entirely rewrite our previous experiences in light of what we know now or believe. This can result in a skewed memory of a specific incident that says more about how we feel now than about what really happened then. Misattribution, on the other hand, involves assigning memory to the wrong source, mistaking fantasy for reality, or incorrectly remembering that you read something from a newspaper when it was actually a friend who told you about it. Misattribution is far more common than most people realize and has profound implications in our lives today. Misinformation and disinformation often rely on misattribution. You retrieve things from memory, but cannot remember the source. This is why advertising is so effective. We see a product and feel familiarity because we have encountered it before, but fail to remember that the source of the memory was an ad. I have a lot of memories due to ads. And since we're just coming from our holidays, I remember when I hear the ringing of sleigh bells and a brightly lit red truck it brings me nostalgia as well as excitement because my memory links it to good times
1: i have a lot of memories as well i have 128 gigabytes of them
0: that is a different type of memory carry anyhow there was a study made by penny Cook, and cannon and published in the journal of experimental psychology general On prior exposure increases perceived accuracy of fake news. They have shown that even a single exposure increases subsequent perceptions of accuracy, both within the same session of that exposure as well as a week after that exposure. So, if you see a headline in one of the social media platforms, that exposure alone will make you remember the headline, even if it is not factual information. Funnily enough, the headline Harry Potter Does Home Renovations is something I recalled again, and I will probably remember it again after a week. So, you really want to have that show? I wouldn't say want, but it'll be interesting. Imagine, Leaky Pipe's Reparo, or Actual Hammer, or using Wingardium Leviosa to levitate the furniture while you replace the floors. Oh, the possibilities.
1: Well. Don't get too excited. It's too early to be this chirpy.
0: Another key point is that repeated exposure can increase the sense that misinformation or disinformation is true. Repetition creates the perception of group consensus that can result in collective misremembering, a phenomenon called the Mandela effect. You can read on it from an article written by Neil Dagnall and can drink water. It was called the Mandela Effect because in 2010, countless people on the internet falsely remembered Nelson Mandela was dead. It was widely rumored back then that he died in prison in the 1980s. In reality, he died in 2013. This misremembering or misattribution can have serious consequences. It's not an issue if you falsely remember Mirror, Mirror on the Wall in Snow White When the wicked queen actually said "magic mirror on the wall," or that you falsely remember "look, I am your father" in Star Wars, when it was really just "I am your father," I could go on, but you get what I mean.
1: Please stop. David Prowse will turn on his grave after your impersonation.
0: Anyhow, the serious consequence is when the combination of misattribution and bias result in people's lives being impacted. An example was on the safety of the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine, or more commonly called the MMR vaccine. A number of people are still referencing the retracted paper from The Lancet, whose author lost his medical license. That paper was completely discredited due to serious errors, undisclosed financial conflicts, and ethical violations. But because there are still people who are against the vaccines due to that misinformation about vaccine safety, it resulted in people contracting and dying of measles when they could have been vaccinated against it. In the WHO and CDC report, from 2000 to 2016, the annual reported measles decreased globally. But from 2017 to 2019, measles incidence increased in all regions. In 2016, there were 132,490 reported cases of measles. In 2019, that number jumped to 869,770. That number is higher than the number reported back in 2000, and the fundamental cause of the resurgence was failure to vaccinate, both in recent and past years, causing immunity gaps in both younger and some older age groups. And because of the pandemic we are in right now, there are a lot of misinformation going around in relation to these vaccines as well. So it is important to know what information is false. But we will talk more about reducing misattribution and bias in a bit. From a purely cybersecurity perspective, misattribution and bias make you susceptible to malicious campaigns that feed into your bias. This can be as simple as unsolicited email on home repairs to malicious links on your social media that either direct you to malicious sites to get your personal information or to install malicious software on your computer. But I still go by the more critical consequence when those misattributions and bias harm people, whether it is yourself or others. So how do you reduce misattribution and bias? A cognitive scientist, Julian Matthews, wrote in an article to explain why humans are susceptible to fake news and misinformation. If you have time, please do read the article. I've placed links in my blog. In that article, he mentioned that the way our memory works means it might be impossible to resist fake news completely.
1: It is hopeless for you humans.
0: Ouch. Knowing how your mind works and how it creates misattribution and bias is important. Matthews, in the same article, asks us to approach it like a scientist. This means questioning, motivated by your curiosity, but also being aware of your personal bias. Ask yourself the following questions. What type of content is this? With people's heavy reliance on social media, you need to ask whether this is news, opinion, or satire. This will help frame your information. Some people would treat an opinion piece as news. And worse, some people would treat satire as facts. I remember years ago when the Irish satire website Waterford Whispers published an article in 2015 about a stampede in Lidl. For those who don't know, Lidl is a grocery chain in Europe. Again, it is a satire, yet a German magazine Reference that satire in their article, treating it as real news. This just goes to show that even media outlets can make mistakes, but the editors should have done their job to verify the information accordingly. Another question to ask is where is it published? Pay attention to where the information is published. If this is major news, it will be reported in a variety of sources and not just one. Again, The example is the satire post from Waterford Whispers. Wikipedia also has a list of fake news and satirical websites. It is interesting to see how many there are. And the last question to ask, who benefits? Reflecting on who benefits from you believing the content will help in framing the information. This will also help check our own interests and if our biases are going to factor in. On a personal note, I avoid going on social media platforms for my news. I always take them with a grain of salt. I tend to refer to well-known news sites. However, more and more news sites are putting up paywalls. The paywall, meaning you have to pay to access the information, being put up by newspapers is probably not helping in addressing misinformation. Some of them are not too bad, wherein they just ask you to register at a minimum. But if people cannot access the information, how can they verify facts? As a side note, there are some news sites that do not put up paywall but are asking for donations. If you have the means and resources, please do support them because they need resources to do the work. People are not buying physical newspapers these days. Lastly, There are groups and organizations that are doing fact-checking as well. It's hard to believe that some years ago, these sites did not even exist. But because of the proliferation of false information being spouted by well-known figures who people trust, within the past five to six years, they have started proliferating. The University of California at Berkeley Library has a list, and I'm linking that in my blog as well. I use a number of them like Fact Check and Snopes. And that's it. I hope this has been useful and has given you ideas on how to protect yourself online, especially against misinformation and disinformation. And I'm glad to be back.
1: I'm glad as well that I'm not the home of spiders anymore.
0: I wish everyone a wonderful week. Slán fall. Bye bye. Take care keep safe.